Well, I hope everybody's got their Christmas plans all set up. How many of you have already had to change plans this Christmas season? Anybody out there? Yeah, that's pretty typical for the Weber household. Um, As is evidenced even by our service tonight, things don't always go as planned. Uh, People uh, sometimes have Christmas plans. I watch other families and I think, how does everything always seem to work out perfectly? Do you know those people too? It it seems to always go just like clockwork and everybody works and cooperates and just the way they intended to. That's never been the case for uh, for my family in the way we celebrate Christmas. I I remember, and my dad will remember this, several years ago when when I was growing up, we decided we were going to make a trip to visit family in Ohio on Christmas. So we loaded up the the vehicle and we drove all night. We left like Christmas Eve. We drove like 13 or 14 hours straight through. We get to Dayton only to get there. This is before, I know some of you have a hard time believing this, but we haven't always had cell phones. And so this was before cell phones. And so we get there only to find out that a family member back in Jacksonville has passed away. So we're there long enough to, to make a bathroom stop and to hug everybody. And we get right back in the car and we drive all the way back uh, back home. And it didn't stop when I, Sherry and I got married and we you know, started a family of our own. The tradition sort of continued. One year at Christmas time, uh, we were living in Texas and we were traveling back to Jacksonville to visit family. And as we were on the road making our way back, we decided we would drive all night. We were so excited and we would drive all night. I didn't obviously learn the lesson when I was younger. So we, we made it uh, about two o'clock in the morning to Jackson, Mississippi, and um, it wasn't the best part of town. And we get out at Jackson, Mississippi, pouring down rain. We're, you know, gassing the car up and and then suddenly we realized we've locked the keys in the car at 2 o'clock in the morning in Jackson, Mississippi. Fortunately, we made our way back. But maybe you've had experiences like this. Most of them may be harmless. You know, just a small adjustment to your Christmas plan and everything works out just fine. But for some of you, uh, you've had Christmas plans that have been dramatically changed because somebody that you expected to be a part of your Christmas celebration is not a part of your Christmas celebration this year. Uh, Maybe there was an illness or a death that came about and it radically changed your plans. Maybe there was a divorce in the family and there is an awkwardness about Christmas this year because your plans just can't seem to work out the way you had intended them to work out. Maybe somebody lost a job and so all the plans maybe for gifts or travel or whatever you had thought uh, would make the ideal and perfect Christmas celebration, maybe those had to be put on hold because things just didn't work out the way you thought they would. And so every year we get to Christmas and we think to ourselves, well, we'll try again next year. Only to find ourselves in that Christmas trying again the next year because something else comes up that seems to stifle the best intentions that we have to celebrate Christmas. And I just wonder if we're trying to achieve something in the celebration of Christmas that is unachievable. If we're trying to attain something that is unattainable. This idea of a, of a perfect Christmas, a perfect celebration where everybody cooperates and everybody's healthy and everybody's well, everybody gets everything they want to get and the celebration is joyful. But many times our Christmas is anything but perfect and it sort of reflects the reality of our world, doesn't it? I mean, we have these ideals in life. That everything is going to work out a certain way, a marriage is going to work out a certain way, our children are going to grow up and be a certain way. That we're going to reach retirement at a designated age and we're going to accomplish the things that we set out to accomplish in our careers and we're going to ride off in the sunset, only it doesn't seem to happen that way. And there's this sense inside of all of us, a longing for something perfect, a longing for something ideal. 
And it goes beyond just Christmas. It has to do with life in general. And something about the reality of our existence keeps interrupting us. It keeps coming back to us again and again that something is wrong in the world. You know, this was God's idea at the very beginning of creation. If you read the Bible, you'll find at the very beginning as God created the heavens and the earth and the stars and the sun and the moon and the animals and the water, it says and it, is, it was good and it was good and it was good and it was good and it was very good. But something happened and it wasn't good anymore. And so God's idea in creation and the reality of our present condition don't always line up. And we have to wonder and when we think about God and his work in the world, was God mistaken? Did God's ideal not come to fruition? Did man's capacity to sin exceed God's expectations? Because no matter how long we pray for peace on earth, there, seem, there still seems to be another terrorist attack. There still seems to be problems like human trafficking and brokenness in our world. And that idea of perfection... Is it even out of reach for God? You know, when God created Adam and Eve, it was perfect. But you only have to get to chapter 3 to find the first failure that came into account. And then you see the story of Noah, and God seems to have a start over, a do-over button. Let's start over. And only to find out that just before that chapter is even over, Noah and his children are right back in the same situation that they were before the flood came. Throughout the entire Old Testament, God seems to be calling people and having a plan only to have the plan fail. And he tries over and over again and nothing seems to work. Even to the point that on a night over 2,000 years ago, God's plan seemed to be that I will take on flesh myself and come in to the mess of the reality of humanity, and I will fix it. Only when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Jesus himself was displaced. There was no room for him to be born. It was less than ideal. It's not what Mary and Joseph dreamed about with the birth of their child. In fact, the birth of this child was already less than ideal because it certainly wasn't what Joseph and Mary would have planned for the birth of their first child. The controversy, the drama back in, Bethlehem, or back in Nazareth where people sort of whispered in hushed tones. They knew what Mary claimed had happened. That the angel had come and told her that she would give birth to the Son of God. But did anybody really believe that? Did Joseph really believe that? It was less than ideal and less than perfect. And then they are told that they have to go back to the city of Bethlehem because of a of a census that's being taken. So they make their way back to Bethlehem. That wasn't ideal. They give birth to the baby in a barn and lay that baby in a feed trough, which was less than ideal. And as Jesus grew, and you read the story of Jesus in the New Testament, you find that the plan doesn't seem to work out the way you would expect it to work out. That if God were going to take on flesh and come and dwell among us, that surely people would recognize it. Surely they would know it. Instead, throughout much of Jesus' ministry, he's misunderstood, he's despised, he's rejected, ultimately he's wrongly accused, he's arrested, he's arrested, he's tried, and he's sentenced to die like a common, rebellious Jew in the middle of the Roman occupation. It was less than ideal. And we have to ask ourselves, surely, surely God couldn't have known all of this was going to happen. But what if he had known? What if all of this was a part of God's plan? 
And, and, and more so, what if your situation and your circumstances, even as imperfect as they are, what if they are part of God's plan too? Maybe your life hasn't gone like you've planned. Maybe your Christmas isn't going like you planned. Perhaps it seems as if all the world has been conspiring against you. But what if the circumstances of your life are all a part of God's divine conspiracy? And you may say, well, <laughs> well, then God is conspiring against me. But what if it only appears that way right now? See, God's plan from the beginning of time always included you. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. The Apostle Paul gives us a glimpse behind the conspiracy, behind the, before the plan ever started. Here's what he says. He chose us, that's you and me. He, God, chose us, you and me, in him, that's Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You know what that tells me? God knew all along what would happen. God was never surprised by the brokenness of mankind, by the sin and the hurt and the brokenness that would come. And in fact, he chose you before time began. He chose you and said, I am going to wrap this person in myself. God made flesh come to dwell among us and that he would be a covering for us that we might be holy and blameless. Jeremiah 29, 11 God has a plan. Here's what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your good and not for your harm. To give you a future and a hope. You might be here on Christmas Eve and think, I don't feel a lot of hope. I don't sense a lot of hope. My marriage is in trouble. Our finances is in trouble. My kids are, 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 are out of control. My job is in question. I don't know what the new year holds. But maybe, maybe you need to understand that you became a part of God's divine conspiracy and that his plan for you is good. That his plan for you is to prosper you and to give you future and a hope. Listen to what it says in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, God sent forth his son, Jesus, born of a woman, that was Mary, in the town of Bethlehem, born under the law. In other words, Jesus came, God took on flesh, and he didn't have special arrangements made. He had to follow all the rules of nature and all the rules of man that you and I have to follow, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. That's us. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. At just the right time, the scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There has been a divine conspiracy. A conspiracy to rescue us from the hopelessness of death and the grave. A conspiracy to adopt you as God's child, to make you one of his heirs. Maybe you have never felt like you fit in a family. Maybe you've never felt like you fit in a place of work or in a community. And God says, I have a place for you. And my conspiracy, my plan all along has been to take you and make you a part of it. Here is the conspiracy. Jesus Christ, born and rejected, was always part of God's plan. Jesus was born to die so that you might be born to live. That's the gift of Christmas. That's the divine conspiracy. 
And tonight, as we celebrate the birth of a baby, a gift that has no strings attached, a gift that was God's plan from the very beginning, from the foundations of the earth, tonight we celebrate not just the fact that he was born, but the fact that he came and he died on the cross. That we might have life, that we might have forgiveness of sins, that he was born to die so that you might be born to life. But Jesus' death doesn't prove anything. In fact, hundreds, thousands of people died on crosses in the first century. But three days after his death, Jesus was raised from the dead, proving that this was, in fact, God-made flesh who came to dwell among us, completing the conspiracy so that we might be reunited with God. Tonight, as we celebrate Christmas, We do it with an eye to the cross and an eye towards Easter. We celebrate the gift of Jesus in its fullness. Not just a baby in a manger, but a man on the cross in an empty tomb three days later. We're going to take communion here in just a few moments. And as we do, we invite everyone to participate. If you are here tonight and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, whether you're a member of this church or not, we invite you to participate in communion this evening. We're going to pray, and our deacons are going to make their way forward. They'll bring you the elements, and as you get each element, we invite you to hold it. And then once everyone has been served, we'll take each element together. Will you join me as we pray? Father, tonight we come together in this place to celebrate the divine conspiracy. A conspiracy that you entered into even when it looked as if all of creation was good. Lord, that you created our world knowing that it wouldn't be good always and yet you still created it you created it knowing what it would cost you that it would cost you your son and so tonight as recipients of this great and awesome gift we come here tonight and we celebrate communion we do something that the church has done for thousands of years something that Jesus left for us to remember his sacrifice on the cross. So tonight, in our celebration of the birth of Jesus, may we not forget his sacrificial death that we might have life. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.